Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I love Rob's flavours the best, probably, because with his knobbly hazelnut balls, um, I think which he, <laughs> he really enjoyed saying... Hello and welcome back to the Bake Down podcast. Now, this is Josh Landy, the founder of Bake With A Legend, the company that gives you the chance to bake alongside some of your favourite former Great British Bake Off contestants. We're so delighted to be back to review a new series of the Great British Bake Off. It is, of course, the celebrity specials that have started back on our screens here in the UK. And it's important to remember that these are all done to raise funds for Stand Up To Cancer. And we hope you'll join us in supporting that important cause. You can get more information and donate via the link in the podcast description. Indeed, we'll be holding a special Easter webinar class to raise money for Stand Up To Cancer and there'll be more details to come on that. Now, I have a confession to make and that is to say that I am not going to be your host of the new Bake Down podcast series. I've just recently become a father and the idea of getting an hour of audio recorded without a baby crying in the background seems an unlikely prospect in the near future. So, I'm handing the baton over to Emily, who is one of our wonderful online event hosts. And she, as ever, will be joined by Howard and Jane, who, let's be honest, are the real stars of this podcast. So I won't keep you any further. Thank you all for your continued support. We hope many of you will continue to join us at online classes. And here is your new host, Emily. Thank you, Josh, for that introduction. Hello to all of our listeners and welcome to a special series of the Bake Down podcast. As Josh mentioned, you're listening to Emily, one of the hosts for the Bake With A Legend virtual classes, and I'm delighted to be the new host for this special celebrity series of the Great British Bake Off. 
You'll be pleased to hear that, as Josh mentioned, I'll be joined each week by former Bake Off contestants, Howard Middleton and Jane Beadle, and the real stars of this podcast, to reflect on this new celebrity series. If you've joined our virtual Bake With A Legend classes before, then you'll know that we love them to be interactive, and this podcast is no different. We want to hear from you as we go through the series, so please do send your questions in and we'll do our best to read them out and have them answered by Jane, Howard and other special guests we plan to have on during the series. Just email thebakedown at bakewithalegend.com and tune in next week to see if your question gets answered. Now, before we launch into Jane and Howard's review of the new series, if you're new to Bake With A Legend and you're yet to join us for one of our virtual classes with a Bake Off star, then what are you waiting for? We have a fantastic selection of classes to choose from, suitable for all abilities. Upcoming classes with availability include Andrew's Wheat and Bread and Guinness Cupcakes this Saturday, the 13th of March, sure to impress for St. Patrick's Day. We also have an exciting array of Easter themed classes, including Howard's Hot Cross Buns, Ian's Easter Carrot Cake and Rosie's famous Jiggle Cheesecake. And I'm pleased to announce we have just launched a new Showstopper Caramel Drip Cake class with Jane. So many opportunities to learn new skills, have fun, interact with your favourite Bake Off star and all from the comfort of your own kitchen. Just check out the classes on our website, bakewithalegend.com. And remember, you can use the code podcast for 10% off a class booking. We are also holding a special free bake along on Mother's Day this Sunday, the 14th of March. Join Rosie Brandreth and create your very own burnt basque cheesecake. If you want to join, you must sign up beforehand. The link is on our website homepage at bakewithalegend.com. And please do share this with everyone you feel may be interested. You're all very welcome. So let's talk episode one of the Celebrity Bake Off for Stand Up to Cancer. With Hollywood stars, Olympic champions and a Little Mix band member, this A-list studied series got off to a great start. This week's episode saw comedian Rob Beckett, Star Wars actress Daisy Ridley, singer and West End star Alexandra Burke, and TV presenter Tom Allen take to the famous tent for their three challenges. Jane and Howard, first of all, hello, welcome to the podcast. Hi Emily, thank you for taking us Josh, who, who has a pathetic excuse for not hosting this, but he claims that having a brand new baby is actually taking up too much time, I think, you know, it's a poor excuse, but congratulations Josh, welcome to your absolutely adorable little daughter, and lovely to be here, welcome Emily, and so nice to see you Howard. Because how long has it been since you've seen one another? I mean, it's about a year and a half since we saw, saw each other when we met up yeah. for years, but a year and a half when we did them live and then we did the zoom christmas special didn't we or new which one was it christmas or new year and then the last series so i probably haven't seen you for about a couple of months howard yeah well it's lovely to have you both back thank you so much for joining us for this celebrity special do you both look forward to watching this celebrity special bake-offs i do actually because it's a very very different atmosphere in the tent and they're always hilarious and I really like it where you have people who clearly have no baking experience and then suddenly halfway through they get quite competitive and they're a bit annoyed that they're not winning. We, we didn't have that on this episode, I must admit. But, um, and then complete 
car crashes. It's just, just great value. They don't care, do they, really, that they're not going to win the Star Baker apron. Well, they, don't, they don't have to worry about getting through to next week. I just think it's hilarious. I love it. I think Prue said she likes having the celebrities on because she likes it when they mess up. So would you agree with that, Howard? I would. I think also Prue pointed out that there's something about just going into the tent that makes people a bit kind of awestruck. So I think the fact that they're there in the Bake Off tent, even though people have uh, have been in the public eye, I think it's a different experience and they do get a little bit, they're obviously competitive, but I think they're also a bit overwhelmed as well. I think it's doing something that you're not familiar with if they're if you're a stand-up comedian that's what you know to do if you're an actor you're very comfortable in front of a camera but to be there baking when you don't feel 100% confident I think it's the same whatever we do wherever we are you you feel a bit um, exposed don't you I certainly got the impression that even Tom Allen who's very familiar with the whole baking competition thing looks very out of his comfort zone at times hilarious but out of his comfort zone i think maybe the bake-off tent when you're actually cooking is a hard place to be i think i I think as well that uh, most of us have gone into the bake-off tent at least with some baking experience and one of the things that i think tom was was particularly showing was the fact how frustrated he was that that he couldn't master baking (laughs) very easily and you think well I don't know why you expected to be able to without very much practice actually Rob Beckett said that he thought Tom had an advantage with uh, with Tom being the presenter for Bake with the Professionals would you agree with that do you think that he's maybe at a slight advantage oh I don't think so I think especially not Bake off the Professionals oh my goodness me I mean even us reasonably competent bakers wouldn't wouldn't even attempt some of the stuff now I think he's very busy being funny and interviewing people and amusing us I don't think he probably doesn't pick up any tips unless it's just purely on the design I wouldn't have thought so (laughs) you're likely to if he hosted the ordinary bake-off our normal bake-off he might learn something then but from the professionals oh my goodness me it's it's so far beyond us that it's not even worth contemplating I don't think. Although I do think it had, had inspired him to have a go at certain things. I mean the fact that he'd seen uh, blown sugar, he yeah. thought oh yeah I can have a go at that, I'm going to do that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he did blown sugar though, We'll get on to that definitely. <laughs> so what were your thoughts when you first saw the lineup for this episode? Do you have a favourite out of these four? Well, I love Tom. I love Tom Allen, but he was so rude about me on um, the extra slice that I instantly wanted him to come last. I mean, it's it's my small way of getting back at him for being extremely rude. But no, no, I love all of them. Um, I I didn't really know Daisy Ridley to be honest because we only ever see her on films. But she was a revelation. I thought she was absolutely adorable i'm a new sign up at the daisy ridley fan club i mean she's she was just gorgeous as were they all actually and alexandra burke i want her hands her hands are so elegant and gorgeous when she's doing things i'm in love with the alexandra burke's hands 
I'll have those hands, please, Alexandra. Just give them to me. <laughs> what about you, Howard? Did you have a favourite out of the four? I think I think it's interesting because I think they'd all approached it in very different ways. So Daisy at first seemed to be completely on top of the whole vegan thing and, and knew her ingredients and what she was doing and so on. And then just decided to do something very bizarre, like bake it in a tin that's far too big. So to try and get, get to try and get her shortbread um, as, as a layer in the tin, but not go right to the edges, so that when you pour the caramel on top, it just runs freely. I thought, I don't know what I do, why you've done that. Rob, on the other hand, had really thought about logistics, I thought. So I think he'd had a bit of help from, from his wife on that. But I think he'd thought very carefully about how you can do millionaire shortbread in the time. Two hours and 15 minutes to try and get that set. It's almost impossible, really. I was trying to think how long it would take. So you could probably get your shortbread baked in half an hour. It's a good 20 minutes for your caramel. But yeah, to get it all set and then the chocolate layer set, I think it's almost impossible. So Rob was brilliant in the way that he thought it through. Um, but perhaps we ought to set that as a challenge. I mean, we do millionaire shortbread classes with Bake the Legend, don't we? I mean, if I did a, a corporate one the other week. And everybody did it beautifully, except you don't take it out of the tin and cut it within that time. So always, as always, um, they're completely scuppered by the time and hilarious, hilarious to watch. <laughs> Where would the fun be if they all turned out perfect? Absolutely. Well, that's it. So Millionaire Shortbread was our signature bake. So let's talk more about that. Hello, you lovely bakers. It's Andrew here. Very excited that I've got spots available on two classes coming up on Saturday, the 13th of March. A one-off St. Patrick's Day special. We'll be making treacle wheat and bread and Guinness cupcakes. Come and join me for that. And also some slots left on a sticky toffee pudding class on the 27th of March. I think it's the best sticky toffee pudding going in the UK, but come and join me and find out if you agree. So the celebrities were asked to make 12 portions of Millionaire's shortbread and they were told they could use any flavours they wanted. Now, as, as you say, Jane, this is something we, we often make at Bake with a Legend, particularly for private classes. So I know you're both very familiar with how a good Millionaire's shortbread should taste. What do you think about this choice for the signature challenge, Howard? Um, I thought it was I thought it was interesting in that, um, as, as Jane has said, there's a a real challenge in terms of timing on this. I'm not sure it's one of the things that lends itself to being messed about with very much in terms of flavours. So I think, you know, you can add a bit of spice, you can add some salt to the caramel or, you know, put something like banana or, or whatever in there. But I think it's it's not one of those recipes that really kind of gives you a lot of scope for changing flavours. I'm agreeing with Howard, except for I was certainly wouldn't have done the banana. I mean, it may be all right. I like this lovely idea, isn't it? Banoffee. But you don't eat all your millionaire shortbread at once. And that banana would have gone very slimy and a bit nasty, I suspect, after a while. And, yeah, I don't know how I'd mess about with it really too much. Um, Alexandra's rum and raisin ones, nice idea, I thought. And I've made a peanut one before now and then decorate the top with some peanut brittle and put some peanut in it but there's, there really isn't much you can do you can perhaps do a nut flavored shortbread um 
put a little bit of did somebody put orange in their caramel was somebody put some orange in their caramel didn't they was that that was that was tom that was yeah, tom. tom had an orange and ginger shortbread with uh with white chocolate oh god <laughs> <laughs> um i don't think it's meant to be in in the celebrity one a, a recipe that you mess about with too much i mean clearly this lot really had very very little baking experience and it's it apart from the timing and getting it set it so it's a fairly straightforward recipe isn't it a good millionaire shortbread and i think it's just quite encouraging for everybody who struggles with it and i know because i've had messages on on my instagram about having people struggling with their millionaire shortbread it's quite good to see some of your absolute heroes in a complete car crash <laughs> it's hilarious paul said it's all about the shortbreads in that particular challenge would you both agree with that do you think that's the key the key aspect to get right in this challenge i i think this is one i think this is leading into probably my hump of the week i i just think sometimes Paul says things and you think you're just saying it because you've got to say something it's he actually said it's all about the shortbread a good caramel layer then topped with beautiful chocolate so basically what you've done is you've told us what millionaire shortbread is which is like yeah we could have all done that it's not all about the shortbread. <laughs> caramel can be quite tricky to master um what, what would you say the challenges are when making caramel for the first time, which I think it's safe to say it was the first time for all four bakers in the tent? Well, uh, I have an incredible reputation for failing spectacularly in the tent with caramel. <laughs> in how many years on? Where are we now? Five years on from I was in the tent and people still comment on it <laughs> just on, on Instagram. Oh, Jane, you made something with caramel. That's nice. <laughs> You've managed it at last. <laughs> um, I don't like to make my caramel with condensed milk because I find it all a bit too sweet. There are different ways of making caramel. And this is a condensed milk way, which people use a lot for banoffee or millionaire shortbread. It irritated me when Prue told Tom she, he needn't stir it all the time. Because I find the condensed milk one especially catches on the bottom of the pan really easily. And I think you need a, a, to, to keep it quite low to start with. And you need to stir it a lot. Um, so anybody who thinks, oh, Prue said you don't have to stir it much. If you've got condensed milk in there, all that sugar, you end up catching it on the bottom. I did it the other week when I made a, a batch. Um, and I ended up sieving it to get the little flecks of brown out of it. I mean, it's so easy to catch it if you if you sidetrack yourself. So um, yeah, I agree, and I think um, yeah, Prue definitely set him up for a fall there. I thought the same when she said that. I was thinking, no, Prue, you need you need to watch that, and you need to keep stirring, or it's going to catch. Which is exactly what happened with Tom's. Um, you know, the it the, it looked nice, but uh, but the caramel tasted burnt because it was. But he's he even said he he pulled Prue up on it, didn't he, and said. I'm going to blame you because you set me up for a fall there. But what did you both make of the flavours? So uh, Daisy, as we said, Daisy's vegan. So she made a dairy-free Bonoffi uh, millionaire shortbread. Alexandra chose rum and raisin flavours for hers and added ginger and mixed spice, which I thought was a great shout because it kind of lends itself to those, those rum flavours. But Rob, 
Rob, I think Rob excelled in this challenge, actually. He went for the Ferrero Rocher uh, inspired flavors and design so I thought that was quite clever because he he incorporated not only the flavors but then made it look like a, a mini Ferrero Rocher what did you what did you make of that Howard what did you think I, th I thought it was really good I loved the fact that he could only say Ferrero Rocher twice and then had to refer to them as ch uh, chocolatey hazelnut things or whatever <laughs> but yeah I thought I thought it was a really good approach I think um, as I say the the idea of doing individual portions so that you know you stand the chance of of them setting much quicker uh, was a good idea strictly speaking is that the way that you would make a millionaire shortbread possibly not but it, it seemed to work but yes I could see that working in terms of flavour chocolate and hazelnut it's quite classic really. What did you think Jane what kind of flavours would you add to a, a millionaire shortbread if you were in this challenge? Well I, I would be quite classic I think um, as I said before I've done a, a peanut one which is is nice to add a bit of peanut into it um, or I was thinking making a hazelnut shortbread but I wouldn't mess about with the rest of it too much, to be honest. Um, but I was inspired by Rob's. I thought it was a very clever way of doing it. It was just too much chocolate. When you looked at it, it was quite a solid lump of chocolate. And I would never have had that idea because I just thought it was genius. But had he, if he had lined his mould with chocolate as though you were making chocolates, and then fills that with caramel and then put a chocolate lid over it so that when you bit into it, your caramel was in there. You could even go a bit runny then, couldn't you? Instead of having that solid lump of chocolate, I think that would be, I might nick that idea, Rob. Thank you very much for that. Um, I thought, because I did think it was really lovely. It'd be nice for a, a sweet, what do you call them? Yeah, they're not a moose bushes, are they? But you could do that, you could do that for a... Oh, like a petit four type. Yeah, thing. yeah, petit yeah. Yes, a petit four type thing, but make it so that the chocolate was much a thinner shell. But I, I wouldn't mess mess about. I loved Rob's flavours the best, probably because with his knobbly hazelnut balls, um, I think which he, he really enjoyed saying, uh, I, "I like a good shortbread. I like a good shortbread. I like a nice caramel and a good chocolate layer. I just don't think you can beat it. Put a bit of hazelnut in, delicious, but." I, I probably wouldn't mess about with them too much. And and Rob actually, he came out on top in the signature, but he also got a Hollywood handshake. Were you surprised by that? Did you kind of think it might be coming? Do you think it was a bit more of a of a gimmick that, you know, let's see who I can hand out my handshake to? I, I loved the fact that Tom was trying desperately to get a handshake. He was kind of foisting himself upon, upon Paul. So uh, I think it must have really... Um, it must have really kind of frustrated him that Rob went and got one. But uh, yeah, I, th I think it was it was it was a clever approach. Seemed to work. So yeah, probably deserved of a handshake. I'm a little bit sort of miffed that we we only had one handshake in our series. I think he's reined them back now because when they first um, moved over to Channel Four, he seemed to be handing them out like smarties. Um, and a lot of people were a bit miffed about it. And I think he's reined back now. It's not so many Hollywood handshakes. I don't know how many we had in our series. We had two in our final, one of which was me, just to point yes. that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know how many we had in all. Yeah, he didn't have many out. He didn't like us, I don't think. He got cross with us a lot. <laughs> he only gives them out for the signature 
and the showstopper as well he doesn't give them out for technical does he because I know that's caused upset online in the past when bakers have done fantastically in the technical and then not received a handshake I think I think the the kind of setup doesn't lend itself particularly in the technical because you're sort of sitting on on little stools when the judging takes place so he'd literally have to walk across um the tent and and give someone a handshake and he can't be bothered to do things like that I don't think <laughs> but uh, but I think he's only ever given one in a showstopper I think it was to Rahul I think normally it, handshakes are limited to uh, to the um, signature yeah I think you're right Howard though but very very rarely does he give one for a showstopper and, and then he comments on it I never give one for a showstopper and then he gives one so uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. So moving on to the technical challenge then. So Prue asked for four individual vegan chocolate and raspberry tarts using coconut oil instead of butter for the pastry and water in place of cream for the chocolate ganache filling. I thought it was really interesting. Most dark chocolate over 70% is vegan anyway, interestingly, and dairy free. Um, So the chocolate's not an issue. I thought adding water, I'd heard about it before, but never tried it. So you make a sugar syrup, and I think by making the syrup, and I think there was brown sugar in that syrup, wasn't there, I believe. Um, It must be something to do with the syrup doesn't make the chocolate split or seize, um, because they seem to get a really quite nice, um, smooth chocolate. The only thing I would say is, I think it was a comment one Paul said about somebody's, oh, it's sweet, but it's something or other. If you're adding sugar syrup to chocolate, which is already relatively sweet, that must be a very sweet ganache filling would be my only criticism about that. But I think I'm going to give it a go because there are plenty of vegan people out there who do love to have a dessert. And I think they probably deserve to have something nice. I I think I might give that a go and just see how that works with the the chocolate ganache with the, the water added. Something you would never normally do is add water to chocolate because it makes it go, and then it goes rock hard and you can't do anything with it. So, yeah, interesting one. I must admit, I've done a ganache before using uh, almond milk or oat milk or something like that. So it is possible to do it using a kind of non-dairy replacement. That's I've done truffles and things like that uh, in the past. But, uh, yeah, I I think it was a really interesting uh, challenge. I mean, I've done it with soya cream. You, you know, you get these little cartons of um, soya cream. Um, you can do it with that. Or coconut cream, that's actually a good coconut cream, will, will do it as well. But water was just interesting. 
And what seemed to happen for each of the bakers was that their ganache set too early before they'd had a chance to pour it into their prepared pastry cases. Um, and all of the celebrities except Rob decided to warm theirs up again. <laughs> and Rob, rather amusingly, chose to flatten his solid ganache into his pastry case, um, which he described as a cow pat, um, which I think was was quite an accurate description, if I'm honest. Um, but I mean, is, is that something which would normally be a risk when making ganache and, and uh, pouring it into pastry cases? I think it depends upon the proportion. So sometimes you can do a ganache with, if you if it wasn't a vegan one, uh, let's say, you can do it with um, a higher proportion of cream to chocolate and that makes a, a kind of runnier ganache in the first place. If you kind of go equal amounts of cream and chocolate, you're going to end up with a, a thicker ganache to begin with. So I think it depends upon the proportion that they've got in there as to whether it's, it's likely to stay in a, a sort of runnier stay or whether it's likely to set um yeah you can warm it up again and uh, and i think that's what most of them did yeah because I, I i very often if i have some ganache left over from something i'll keep it in the fridge it's great to have it in the fridge if you want to use it for the topping of a cupcake or just to melt over some ice cream or something i think the trouble is is they were chilling their pastry and then what have they got to do so they made their ganache and then they got to bake the pastry and the ganache is sitting there firming up all the time. So, you know, I think we're just filling time, weren't they? And that's why they did it early and thinking they'd get ahead, but then had to reheat it all. Just one of those things. You'd have probably, if you'd been experienced in making ganache, you'd have probably left it later before you started. You probably had a cup of tea while everything was chilling. <laughs> I think the bakers had a moment of horror when they looked at their recipe and uh, and saw they had to blind bake their pastry cases, but they weren't told for how long. So how long should you blind bake a pastry case for in general, would you say? Because we had ranges from five minutes up to 10 minutes with varying results. Howard, do you want to answer that one? Before? Well, yeah, I, I, to be perfectly honest, it depends upon the size of, of your tartan to begin with. So, I mean, if you're doing those kind of mini tartlets, I probably would have given them kind of 10 minutes. And then your experience tells you whether it's got a little bit of um, structure to it at that point. So uh, uh, what I normally do is then take the beans out and dry the top off for a little bit, not literally with a, a towel, just pop it back into the oven for a minute or two, just to give that a kind of drier surface, which will then hold whatever filling you're popping in there. Yeah, I would do exactly the same. I mean, some of my tarts I'll do sort of 12 minutes and then pop them back in the oven for another five to, to finish them baking. But you do need to look at it because if you take those beans out too early, what happens is the soft pastry will slump down the sides of the tin. Because what you want to do is you're blind baking it to make sure it keeps its shape and then you finish it to dry it off a little bit and make sure you don't get a soggy bottom. I mean, I, I think it was Tom's, then nobody pointed it out, but somebody's that really slumped down the side of the tin when I saw them. Blind baking something is, you do need a little bit of experience. And I thought it was a bit mean not giving them a time for it. I've never made pastry. Have you ever made pastry, Howard, with um, coconut oil? I've never made it with coconut oil. I wonder if that aided to the toughness, because I know you kept saying they were overworked, but is it harder to make it with a coconut oil? Does that? It, it is. I've I've done it. Um, I did some vegan uh, mince pies uh, just before Christmas. Well, you would, wouldn't you? You <laughs> would. <laughs> doing them after this. <laughs> 
<laughs> You've missed the boat there. Yeah, and I, uh, but I, I must admit, I used um, a little bit of orange juice in there, which I think helps to crisp it up a, as well. So, yeah, I, I, I've tried them with, with um, coconut oil, solidified coconut oil, but I, I had more success with a kind of vegan uh, butter, which is like a blend of coconut and other things like almond oil and so on. Yeah, I've only ever used it with a sort of dairy-free butter alternative and, and that works just fine. I just wondered whether they were having so much problem with the pastry because of the coconut oil. Interesting one. Probably not going to bother to try that one, actually. Being a vegan recipe, I thought this might be Daisy's chance to shine. Um, but she she was one who ended up with a soggy bottom. Is that something that you worry about when you're in the bake-off tent? Um, and do you think that sometimes when you're baking a pastry, you might overcompensate for a soggy bottom and then and then run the risk of overbaking? Probably, because uh, you're always going on about soggy bottoms, aren't there? I mean, if you're blind baking something, it should be perfect. It should be fine. There are, there are, we won't go into complete soggy bottoms here. There are loads of ways of getting around a soggy bottom if you're then carrying on to bake. Or if you're or putting in a, a much wetter filling, so say a creme pat, you need to do something to make sure your crisp pastry doesn't go soggy once you put your creme pat in, which happen, can happen. Um, so that most of us should, should be able to bake blind baker tart case without a soggy bottom in the tent um tent plays plays with your mind so i'm not saying we all achieve it but if you're a complete novice baker just the baking beans are going to be an interesting addition to your repertoire aren't they so <laughs> incidentally you can use rice you don't need to use ceramic baking beans you can use any beans dried chickpeas dried butter beans um i did once and, and reuse them you can't then cook them but you can reuse them i did use pop popcorn once because it, it was the only dried thing i had knocking around the house and so don't use that because it pops in the oven but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic <laughs> So the results of the technical challenge saw Rob move to last place, followed by Daisy, then Tom in second place and Alexandra in first place. Uh, Paul said that her ganache had a nice shine and that her pastry was delicate, um, which is pretty spot on for what you want for a, a, a nice tart. So without tasting the bakes, did you both agree with that order? Howard, what did you think? Yeah, I think I, I I always feel really kind of proud of myself if I can get it in order before they announce it. And I, I, I got this in order. So I thought, oh, yes, I, I could be a judge. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do the same, Jane? Uh, yeah, I think it was, I think it was fairly, sorry, Howard, not doing down your uh, achievement. <laughs> I thought it was fairly easy to spot this week, to be honest. <laughs> Now, Paul said that Rob's ganache was too dry. Could that have been saved if he'd reheated the ganache like the others did? Do you think that was a, a fault of it not having been reheated and uh, melted down again? I think some of that was to do, I'm not entirely sure Rob knew what a ganache was. So I think the fact that he thought that you could mould it and put it in as a kind of solid uh, lump of chocolate I think he thought that's what that's probably what it's supposed to be like a kind of lump of chocolate that you can cut into rather than thinking that there needs to be a little bit of softness in there even so had everybody set 
in or out of the tin. It should have ended up the same texture. So I wonder whether he did something wrong as well, because they said his was a bit dry. I mean, not, not just the pastry, but it wasn't a nice texture, regardless of whether he'd shaped it into a cowpat or not. So maybe he mismeasured or maybe he'd overheated his syrup so it did go a bit I don't I have absolutely no idea what happened there but it was not good was it you wouldn't want to eat it I don't think so to summarize then Daisy's pastry base had a rubbery texture due to being undercooked which I think we could all have predicted um, and Tom's looked very impressive but Paul and Prue found the base a bit hard and overcooked so we've got sort of opposing sides of the coin there. Um, but Paul, I thought Paul made an interesting comment about Daisy's tarts needing more raspberries in the decoration. It was almost like she had points knocked off for that. Can this be seen as a fault or is this down to personal preference? Um, when you're in the tent, are you given any indication for how much or how little decoration a bake should include? I think it's really tricky because we we're obviously observing the show and we see the exemplary bake that they're pouring over in their little judge's tent and um, the bakers haven't seen that so they don't know that you're supposed to put a certain number of raspberries on top or cover the top with raspberries um, and that's why I think we've got a bit of a variation going on because you've not seen what you're supposed to be aiming for. Yeah what did you think Jane? Well Oh, yeah, I, I agree with Howard, and I thought I thought hers looked quite attractive with the raspberries down the middle and a little bit of whatever she sprinkled on it either side. Um, it, it's very difficult to know. They give you so little information on that, those sheets. I mean, the fact that poor Rob didn't even know he had a recipe. <laughs> he was like, oh, my goodness, they said make an ash. And I said, don't worry, there's a recipe in the drawer. <laughs> I, know, I know Val and my year... Um, on one of ours, I can't remember what it was. Could have been bake or tart, technical. She only found one sheet of hers, her recipe, so she had to make the rest up. I think she found the second sheet and had to make the rest up, and it was only her experience that enabled her to make it all because the second sheet was languishing in the drawer and she hadn't seen it. Oh, what a nightmare. It can all be a bit chaotic at times, but... Um, yeah, interesting. An interesting little challenge, I thought. Um, and yeah, I thought daisies looked quite restrained, I think, is restrained decoration, I think. Hi, bakers. Hi, it's Karen here. I have got an Easter bake class on the 27th of March, 5pm. It's a traditional Simnel cake like it's centuries old and it's full of fruit and marzipan and it's got apricot jam in the middle of it and it's delicious and it's just so historic. So yeah, book yourself a place while you can. Okay, so then we moved on to the showstopper challenge. <laughs> Lucy called showstopper. <laughs> and the celebrities were given three and a half hours to create a 3D sponge cake, which represented their biggest bugbear. So for those listening who don't know what a bugbear is, it's something relatively trivial, but which annoys you, sometimes for an inexplicable reason. So Jane and Howard... What are your bugbears and what would you have chosen to do for this challenge? I've thrown this on you, but I thought I thought it might come up with some hilarious results. So, um, Howard, I can see you smiling. What's your what's your biggest bugbear? 
you know, I thought I thought about this, and I thought, well, I I cannot abide uh, litter, so that oh, would be no, quite. I was going to say litter. Yes, <laughs> I think of something else now. <laughs> well, I'll I'll let you have litter because I did I did actually think that would be a lovely one to do. You can do sort of lots of little bits of of kind of literary looking things and cover your cake in that way, um, or you or you could do it, I suppose, in the shape of a. Uh, a litter bin or something uh, but the other I'm a pedant about people who say things wrongly and I'm I, I know I must say things I must mispronounce certain things but one of the things that really frustrates me is when people say of instead of have so I would have done something <laughs> and you think I should have and it's like oh I was watching interior design masters the other week and Michelle Agunderhin uh, one of the judges said said of instead of have so i think i think i would have to do a cake that that was the sort of representing that really oh i would have been interested to see that <laughs> you shouldn't have asked this emily because i could go on for hours i could go on for Mine would have been why. Why do I always have to step in the road where people are coming down? <laughs> why does nobody say thank you? Why? Why? Um, but going on from the list of things which really, really, really annoys me is apologies if anybody's eating their breakfast or dinner or anything at this stage. Um, it's when people pick up their dog poo, put it in a black bag or whatever their poo bag is, and then hang it from a bush. <laughs> Oh. Why do they do that? You know, don't pick it up would be better. I, I, and I don't, I don't hold with not picking your poo up. To be perfectly honest, um, but better than picking it up, sticking it in a plastic bag and hanging it from a bush. So I've probably done a, yeah, I would have had some poo on mine probably. Paul can be quite fussy. I'd love to have seen him sort of cut into a piece of. Uh, fake poo I would say but what was it in the last series you didn't want to eat what didn't you like to eat was it cornichon or pickles or something like oh, that oh yes yeah, yeah in the so little burger bun time yeah. cut into my dog poo bag I think that was being funny <laughs> One thing I wondered about is because um, for the bakers, I would say only Daisy attempted to to shape her cake properly by by carving it and trying to construct it. Um, is it quite difficult to to shape cakes into the designs that they ask for when they ask for these elaborate, uh, you know, shape it into into a face, into someone that's inspirational for you or your favourite animal? The problem with carving cake, and I don't do it a lot, to be perfectly honest, um, is when you've got a really fresh cake just out of the oven, it's very crumbly and delicate. And what I would do is I'd make it a day, two days before I needed to carve it, wrap it and, and chill it or at least let it firm up because that gives you half a chance of carving it into something or other. Of course, you can't do that in the Bake Off tent. You don't have enough time. Um, so there are all sorts of problems um, with the carving. Now, people have made the most amazing carved cakes in the past. Um, Stephen two, three series go absolutely incredible. His actually looked, all his illusion cakes looked 
just like whatever they were supposed to do, loaf of bread or slice of toast or whatever it was. Um, so, yeah, there are problems. There are problems, one, getting them baked in time, two, getting them cooled and then shaping them um, with your very fresh crumbly sponge. So, yeah, you're just set up to fail in three and a half hours, really. Poor old Daisy <laughs> with a very elaborate design, too. She tried her best, didn't she? So uh, so Tom's bugbear was cars honking their horns at him and he made a car-shaped cake with an almond sponge with raspberry jam and amaretto cream and attempted some blown sugar decorations we've already touched on. Uh, Jane, I know you're great with your almond flavours. What were your thoughts on Tom's bake? Were you impressed by his sugar work? <laughs> <laughs> well, he said he was going to blow the sugar there was no blowing of sugar there, is, was there? I mean, there was no blowing of sugar. He, he was sort of leading us on there. Um, I think what he used was some, um, what do you call, call it, isomalt. I don't think he made sugar. Isomalt is uh, something like a sugar. It's very, it's much more stable, especially if it's been tempered and you can buy it already. And then all you have to do is melt it and pour it over something. I thought it was a great idea. I thought it was a brilliant idea. I, I loved the design. I actually thought his cake looked really charming. I know it wasn't perfect, but I thought it was lovely. I, I love the idea of the blue. I love the idea of the horn on the top. I love the idea of the the red pop whatever it is pop pop coming out the top I, I, I just thought it was great um but blown sugar it wasn't so if anybody at home wants to make something like that yes just buy some ice malt temp I think it has to be tempered because it's easier you can temper it at home but it's a faff um just get some ice malt and then it dries pretty well so he got it on a slip mat you can do it on any silicon really um and it shapes brilliantly so yeah I poured some into a mould. I was practising for a bake-off challenge, which I never did, but I made a mould out of a um, a castle that you put in a fish tank and then made an isomalt castle out of it. It's, it's good fun stuff to play with. It's expensive, but it's good fun. So I thought Tom did a great job. I, I actually really, really liked Tom's cake. I thought it looked utterly charming. It, was, it definitely looked very effective for sure. Um, and Rob went with a similar theme and created a road diversion sign uh, with a marbled black and yellow sponge. I thought the colours he used were very bright, um, but what did you make of the decision to marble the sponges together, Howard? I think, uh, yeah, it's a nice thing to do. I'm not, I, I, I couldn't particularly see how, how it related to what he was doing other than he was using the colours that he then put on the... Uh, on the outside i think it was it wasn't it didn't have the same kind of 3d impact that some of the other uh cakes had and although it got little arrows kind of pointing poking and pointing out the top that was about the only 3d element to it wasn't it yeah, it was a bit more simplistic, a bit more, uh, more, a bit of a safe option, I think. Um, but Daisy's was more unusual. She said that her bugbear was people who leave the toilet seat up when they flush. Um, <laughs> I was a fan of her flavours, I have to say. Uh, so she went for a lemon sponge with an orange Jaffa flooring. Howard, I know you're great with your lemon sponges. What did you make of Daisy's bake? Yeah, I thought it was it was lovely. I thought it was just a shame again that. But just some basic knowledge about how you trim cakes and how you make things look neat, I think, would have really helped. Um, so trying to balance those those kind of uneven sponges, which I think were going to be the system of the, the toilet, um, without 
without trimming them beforehand and just slathering jam on didn't particularly work and then of course the flooring was a little bit um well i think you'd have to i think you'd have to report that flooring wouldn't you if you were land if you to the landlord <laughs> for sure but alexandra's was quite unusual and i thought the end result was quite effective so she said that when her partner comes home from playing football uh, her bugbear is when he gets straight into their fresh bed sheets without getting in the shower first um and said that it drives her mad i think i'd probably chuck him in the bath if it was me um but she made an orange soap sponge with a salted caramel icing and a shortbread biscuit headboard along with a little fondant icing pie partner football and their dog Rex hiding under the duvet um what did you think of, of Alexandra's bake Jane I thought she did a great job actually uh, it looked good I love the little dog's bottom sticking out at the at the end I thought it was fabulous but <laughs> I have to say she's setting the bar pretty bar pretty high isn't she every time her partner comes to visit she puts fresh sheets on blimey I mean birthdays and Christmases in my house <laughs> we don't often. Um, so and she clearly hasn't trained him very well has she if he's going to jump on the bed with his dirty football kit I mean I think it's time to train him in Alexandra or oh, oh, oh. Or send him, send him to footballer training classes. I, mean, <laughs> I would have been furious, absolutely furious. Um, mind you, it's fine that the dog's on the bed. That's all right. My dogs jump up on the bed all the time. I think one of mine actually thinks that that's her bed. Um, she sneaks up at every available opportunity. Um, but fresh cheats every time he comes round. I just think. I just think well, us normal women would never be able to keep up with that one. But she did, a, I think she did a great job. I, I think following on from her technical, that cake was a bit of a triumph, really. Um, yeah. yeah. And Paul said it was great. Flavor, flavors were good. Really good job. Um, brilliant. She, I think she's made cakes before, hasn't she? It was a, it was a good one. I liked it a lot. Yeah, Prue described the sponge as heaven and said oh. it was very light with good flavours. What's the secret to getting a really light and fluffy sponge? Howard, do you want to take this one? Yeah, no, I, I think I think it's all about proportion. So I think um, liquid is, is really important. I think quite often people worry about two things. They worry about the fact that it can be a little bit battery as it goes in the oven and then they worry about um, baking it until it's very very firm and actually what you want is to be baking it until there's still a little bit of moisture in there so when you put a cake tester in you don't want it to come out with liquid on there but what you don't want equally is for nothing to come out you want a little bit of moist crumb on the uh, on the cake tester that's a good tip. Jane, any tips for getting it to that consistency, though? Any tips for when you're mixing the sponge batter together to try and keep it nice and light and airy? Well, I mean, there are two, two ways of doing doing a sponge. It's you cream your butter and sugar together, which is where my mother always used to do it. So it's really light and fluffy. Beat the eggs in a bit at a time and then fold the flour in. My mother would always chuck in two or three tablespoons of water hot water from the kettle as well. What you need to do, whether you use that method or Mary Berry, or Hale Mary Berry, um, she uses an all-in-one method. Whether you use the all-in-one method, which frankly I use quite a lot because it's easy, basically make sure you've got a lovely soft butter and um, then just whack everything in. 
the trick is not to overbeat it because what will happen is that you will develop the gluten a bit in the flour, which is also why people get tough pastry if they overwork it. And if you develop the gluten, which works brilliantly for bread and what gives you bread the structure, it will make your cakes and your biscuits and your pastry tough. So you need a light touch, whichever method you use when you're adding the flour. Not so bad when you're using gluten-free flour because you haven't got that problem. Um, and then you really want the batter to be a soft dropping consistency. So, so often you don't, people don't add milk or water just to loosen that batter a little bit to, as Howard said, you know, people are very worried about having a very wet batter going into a tin. I mean, some of the batters that have oil in them, you almost pour it in like a liquid and you get a great crumb out of it as well. So, yeah, if it goes in really thick, there's a good chance that it's going to be a bit heavy. Um, if you overwork it, there's a chance that it's going to be a bit tough. And as Howard said, if you overbake it, then it's going to be very dry. And you all think that a good old Victoria sponge is a very easy thing to make, but actually there's nowhere to hide with a Victoria sponge, I don't think. you. If you can make a Victoria sponge well, I think you can make anything. That's really good sponge advice there. Thank you both. Um, so when it came to the judging, Rob's looked very effective. Prue mentioned that she was impressed by his marbling and Paul said he had good flavours, delicious buttercream and jam with great colours, but that the sponges were dry and overbaked. So that was a bit of a shame for Rob, I think, there. Um, and Tom's looked messy. Uh, I think he was the only one who didn't opt to use fondant icing to cover his bakes so the buttercream looked a little bit messy uh, but Paul said that the flavours and textures were delicious and Prue was impressed by Tom's sugar work um, even if it wasn't necessarily blown sugar from scratch <laughs> um, but Daisy's was a bit of a mess wasn't it um, I think she actually described it as a hot mess <laughs> which I liked would you both agree with that how much do you think presentation counts for in the tents could you be sent home if your bake tasted amazing but looked awful what do you think Jane oh um, yes <laughs> I guess you can definitely be sent home for that first thing you do is eat with your eyes don't you so if they want something looking gorgeous you've got to give them something looking gorgeous if it then tastes awful um then that's a different story altogether. Because for me, I know when Howard and I very often judge at food festivals and people bring on bakes, and some of them are absolutely gorgeous. And then you cut into them and they're dry or they're disappointing. And, and the audience can never quite understand why we've chosen quite an ordinary looking bake rather than one of these incredible masterpieces. But I mean, taste is, for me, I think, paramount. But if you if it's all smushed up like a car crash on a on a cake board, then you're not going to win, are you? Really? Would you agree with that, Howard? I, I would, and and just picking up on, on on Jane's point, I think yeah, we we've all judged uh, cakes that look absolutely amazing, and then people are really quite hurt by the fact that they don't win. You know, particularly when they tell you that they've spent kind of four days working on it. And you think, yeah, and during those four days, that cake's got drier and drier every day. Um, now, claggy, <laughs> as an adjective, is something which quite often comes up as a question in our Bake with a Legend virtual classes. Apparently, it's not a term that's often used in the US. So for anyone listening who hasn't come across this word before, do either of you want to have an attempt at describing what it actually means? 
I've, I've failed on so many occasions to try and tell people this. And, and we, I also say clarte, which is something that, that we say in, in our area of, of Yorkshire. So it's, it's very clarte. It, it's when it, it's sort of, it's difficult to digest in the mouth. So it can be almost uh, kind of sitting there quite thick and heavy and uh, it's um it's not got a lot of moisture or or anything like that so claggy is sort of yeah it kind of binds your mouth up peanut butter yes peanut, peanut butter, butter. I'd yeah. say it's definitely that's a good description okay so while paul said that tom did well in the showstopper challenge and prue was impressed by daisy's ambition it really came down to a close call between rob and alexandra rob had come first in the signature and got a hollywood handshake but alexandra excelled in the technical challenge with her vegan tart and they were pretty even during the showstopper with judges saying that alexandra made a beautiful and very clever bake and rob's showstopper was very neat and accurate and well Hey everyone, Rosie here. So excited for all the Celeb Bake Off specials and the inevitable carnage. If you'd like to join me for a rather less chaotic baking experience, there are currently spaces on a few of my classes. We've got Cornish pasties on the 21st of March, a real classic. The Jiggle Cheesecake class on the 4th of April, which is a super fun one. Or speedy croissants with pan au chocolat and marmalade on the 11th of April. I hope to see you there. So, moving on to the winner then. Alexandra, what did we think of Alexandra as a winner? Do we agree with the judge's decision? Jane, I'm going to come to you first. Yeah, I think so. I think... She had a bit of a mare of the signature bake, but yeah, I think she just grew in confidence and did a great job. They loved her sponge in the showstopper. Um, and I, I did think it was much more challenging design for her showstopper as well. And she made shortbread, even though she had to try and she had to persuade Paul to taste it. Um, no, I think she was a worthy winner. She did a great job. And for those hands and nails alone, which are so beautiful, if, if only my my fingers looked as lovely when I was making cakes. No, I think she was a worthy winner. And, and good on you, Alexandra. I thought it was lovely. What did you think, Howard? Would you agree? I, I, I would. And I, I think she deserves to win just for the fact that also we, we found out a, a kind of private side of, of Prue when she revealed that um, I, she said that some people would actually welcome a dirty footballer in their bed. So, yes, I thought, oh, yeah, <laughs> join the club. She's a naughty lady. Good old Prue, yes. It's very entertaining. It'll be a plot for her next novel, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, shall we move on to Howard's Hump then? So my, uh, I think we've touched on my hump already. So um, Paul describing what makes a millionaire shortbread and saying it's all about the shortbread, uh, which it's clearly not. Um, and then he did the, exactly the same thing with the with the showstopper. It's all about the basic cake itself. 
it's like do you know I, why do you tell people this when it's not it's like you're giving guidance and and clearly in the showstopper it isn't all about the basic cake it's still about the decoration as well so i just think um either people who are filming him are having a little bit of fun um, or he's just lost the plot a little bit about being able to describe what, what the essence of a bake is. Sorry about that. <laughs> I always love Howard's hump. <laughs> Philip, Howard, I'm sure you're saying what everyone is thinking. So you're the voice of the people, definitely. <laughs> so did you both enjoy this this week's episode then? It's a joy to be able to do this podcast again and, and chat to... Uh, chat to old friends Howard and new friends too Emily um <laughs> I always love seeing the tent it's uh any, anybody in the tent I'll happily sit down and watch it it's just a joy so yeah I loved every minute of it Great. And how about you, Howard? Looking forward to next week's episode? Uh, absolutely. And I, I, I must admit, we've not mentioned him, but I loved the fact that Matt actually did this on his own and uh, actually made a pretty good job. Oh, Noel's got a new yeah. baby. Oh, bless him. Yes, yeah, yeah. so it's him and Josh. Can't turn up for these <laughs> Well, hopefully we'll be seeing Noel uh, in one of the later episodes and we'll look forward to it. Hopefully hearing his baby news then, definitely. Um, but that's week one wrapped up. So thank you very much for listening. You can join Howard, Jane, special guests and myself next week to hear how the celebrities got on in week two. Don't forget to sign up for our free Mother's Day webinar on Sunday the 14th of March, where we'll be baking burnt Basque cheesecakes with the lovely Rosie. And just a reminder that as a thank you to you, our podcast listener, we would like to offer you a special 10% discount off any of our online classes. Just use the promo code podcast at the checkout and we'll hope to see you at a Bake with a Legend class very soon. You just heard a stripped media production. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.